Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's daily podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Yes. So uh, thank you for joining everyone. Uh, This is our daily immigration conference uh, for Ready and Newman. I'll be filling in for Rahul today. Um, My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with the firm and uh, we do have a queue already. And I think uh, Gayatri will identify you, call your name when it's your turn to ask a question. So Gayatri, you can go ahead. Hi, Sydney. Ha Rajiv? Hi, Rebecca. Can you hear me? Hi, Rajiv. Yes, I can. Yeah. yeah, so I would like to ask a couple of questions on my uh, situation here. So I have a priority date of uh, November 2012. Uh, so last year, um, I was in India for some uh, family matters. Uh, so I couldn't downgrade to EB3. Okay. Uh, so now my date is current as per July bulletin in EB3. So I want my, I asked my employer to downgrade to EB3. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you recommend? Should I do that uh, and file kind of, uh, 485 along with it? Or should I uh, wait for October uh, when my most likely EB2 should become current as well? It's up to you. Um, yeah, there is a good likelihood that by October, your date will also be current in EB2. Um, mm-hmm. But if your employer is willing to do the downgrade now uh, and file the I-140 and then you could file the AOS together in July, um, there isn't really any reason not to uh, besides the fact that there's the additional cost of the I-140. The downgrade is basically another I-140 petition. so. It's an additional fee to file the I-140 and some employers may be willing to file the downgrade at their employee's request, but they require the employee to handle the fees, for example. So that might be a downside to doing the, the downgrade. Is like I-140 approvals are taking so long, so I wanted to avoid that part. If, yeah. So if I do the 485 along with the EB3 downgrade now, so can mm-hmm. I move it later back to EB2 if EB2 becomes current for me? You can. Um, there are a couple ways to do that. One is to interfile. Basically, you send a letter to USCIS telling them that you have a pending I-485 in the EB-3 category, and I'm current now in EB-2. Can I um, have my I- pending I-485 basically move to the EB-2 category? Um, that's one option, and we have done that in the past, and it does work. It's just a little uncertain because it's never really clear if and when USCIS actually 
moves it from one category to another. It's just a letter. There isn't an official receipt notice or notification that you get. Um, another option is just filing a new I-485 uh, in the EB-2 category, which of course has more filing fees, but you get an actual case number, a receipt notice that you can track. Um, so those are the options. I'd say if you're in 2012, yeah, it doesn't, it most likely is going to be current. I would say even possibly before October, you know, we're expecting the priority dates to continue to move forward for the rest of this summer. So one last question. So since I was outside of the US for so long, so in the address history part of 485, should I mm -hmm. mention my Indian address because I stayed there for like six months or so or no? If it was a prolonged period of time, six months or so, I would probably include that in your address history residing there. Uh, if it's just a trip, like a vacation for even a month or so, and your home is still here in the US, usually you don't need to you know, list every vacation or trip that you went on. But six months is a pretty prolonged period. I would probably include that in the residence history. Okay, thank you. Sure. Uh, Gayatri, do you want to go to the next question? Avani? Uh, hi, uh, Rachel. Uh, I'm Pavni. So uh, I have my priority date, I-140 priority date uh, on 2012 March, but uh, we moved out of the country in 2014. Um, and uh, we are still out of the country. So we are planning to come back. And uh, I wanted to know if we would still fall under the H-1 cap of lottery system if we get a job in the US, uh, do we need to file it under the lottery system or can we bypass that? That is my first question. And my second question is since we have been uh, so long outside the country, uh, how does it affect my 140? And like the other person said, I haven't updated uh, the address in uh, the, I didn't update the AR11 form for address change. It's been almost seven plus years that we have moved out of the country. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, the AR-11 is more for pending I-485 applications or other applications like that, where UCIS is going to send you notices, like your fingerprint notice, and they need your updated address in order to do that. So I wouldn't worry too much about the address change. But um, yeah, by virtue of being outside the U.S. for so long, technically, if you your I-140 can still be used to support um, an I-485 application if the I-140 petitioner is willing to sign the I-485J supplement, confirming that they still have this job offer for you. Um, so that's the first thing you would need to confirm with that company. Um, then, of course, the other thing, you need to be in the U.S. in order to file the adjustment of status, which means getting H-1B first. Um, if you have been counted in the lottery already and actually been in the US in H-1B status for any period of time, you do not need to go through the lottery again, even if it was several years ago, like it was in your case. Um, so you don't need to go through the lottery again. If you have I-140 approval, you can request a three-year H-1B, but that also requires the company's cooperation to file the H-1B application for you. And the main hurdle right now is getting the visa stamp from a consulate once you get that H-1B approval notice. So it's possible, um, but yeah, there are a few, um, few steps 
along the way. Um, if you haven't already, I would definitely reach out to your I-140 petitioner, see if they are willing to still have you work in the U.S. and file the H-1B and the I-45 supplement for you. So if I change the employer or if I go to a new job, the one who has not petitioned my I-140, what are the implications over there? And also the other thing is since I'm in India and say it becomes current for EB2 uh, priority dates. And if I'm still in India, is it still possible to apply? Uh, is it still possible to apply for I-485 485 or not? So you can't really file for the I-485 when you're outside the U.S. Um, the way that you apply for the green card when you're outside the U.S. is through the consulate, which we normally don't recommend unless it's absolutely necessary because you cannot come back to the U.S. because of some prior immigration violations or something that doesn't allow you to come back. Um, we always do recommend for employment base to file the adjustment of status from within the U.S. if you can, because it's a much smoother process. Um, even pre-pandemic, the consular green card application was very complicated and could take a long time. It's even longer now with all the consulate backlogs. So we don't recommend filing through the consulate for the green card. Um, as far as going with a different employer, you can have a different employer file for your H-1B. To come back into the U.S. However, in, if you are working for a different employer, then um, most likely the petitioner who filed your I-140 is going to support that application, meaning they're not going to be willing to file the I-45J supplement. In order to have your green card basically converted over to the new employer, the new employer to start the perm from scratch, which is going to take at least a year. Um, I mean, it's likely that priority dates will still be beyond 2012, I would say, you know, a year from now, next year, if dates don't go backwards, um, which based on the government's recent statements, it sounds like they don't expect retrogression for the priority dates to go backwards, but we never, we never know. Um, yeah, so your best option is with the that filed your I-140, but if it's through a different employer, it's still possible. It'll just take longer to go through the perm with them first. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Thank you. Nikhil? Hi, hi Rebecca. Uh, this is Nagraj. Actually, sorry, my name is wrong. So actually, uh, we found an employer. Okay, actually, I'm in India. We found an employer who can, I mean, I'm trying to do H-1B, new H-1B. But upon talking with the, one of the employer, he was telling to me, like, even if there is one day left in my previous H-1B, then they can do the permit. So is it really possible to do the work permit even if there is one day left in my last H-1B? So actually, I left the country in last June, mm -hmm. end, of, end of June. So I want to know whether it's really possible or not uh, to do the work permit even if there is one day left in my last H-1. Uh, do you mean that you were pretty close to going past the six-year limit? Yes, 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 Repka. So, uh, so actually, my initial plan was to leave by March, but due to some lockdown, I couldn't go back mm -hmm. to my India. So I left on June 30th, okay? So upon my entry-exit calculation, my calculation, okay, I found like it is only one day left in my last H-1B. Okay. 
That should be fine. Um, there used to be a rule that in, and you have your I-140 approved? No, 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 no. I'm just in H-1B. Okay. So I'm trying to get a work permit with a new employer. Is it really possible? Uh, what type of work permit are you trying to apply? So the perm process, I mean, the, the perm process, sorry. Sorry, my, I mean, my question was a little bit wrong. So the perm process. So is it really possible to file the labor even if there is one day left? Yeah, the labor certification is not um, dependent on the H-1B being maxed out or not, or you don't even have to be in the U.S. in order for an employer to start the perm process for you. So they can have all that going on while you are outside the country, whether your H-1B is maxed out or not. The main kind of time where the labor and H-1B come into play is when you're trying to avoid maxing out your six-year H-1B limit and you want the perm to be filed before the fifth year in order to be able to get a one-year extension. But it sounds like in your case, um, you've already used up most of your H-1B time. So your labor certification, if your employer has started it already, it can continue. That's no it's not my present employer. It is going to be a new employer. Okay. So is it still okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They can still do the perm labor certification for you. And then, okay. so yeah, if you haven't had I uh, I-140 approved in the past with any other company, kind of your uh, goal now with this company that is filing your perm is to get that perm approved. That could take a long time because perms are just taking a very long time right now. But once that's approved, they can file and get the I-140 approved pretty quickly if they file in premium and then file the H-1B for you and you'll get the H-1B visa stamp at the consulate and then come back in. Uh, so I have one more question like, uh, okay. So when this perm process is, uh, is going on, can I parallelly try for a new H-1B in the lottery? Um, you can, uh, let's see. So my question is like, why, why I'm asking this question is like, so if my new H1B is, I mean, there is a lottery system for a new H1B. So if, if it is picked up and if this sperm process goes to, uh, to the level of I-140 approval, so can I bring my present H1B to this one? So is it something like that possible? Uh, yeah, you can always have a second H-1B going in parallel. You don't, your H-1B doesn't have to be through this employer as long as you have an I-140. I mean, you're, if you are, if you don't want to go through the lottery, you need an I-140 approval in order to get more H-1B time. If you do try to go through the lottery, that is possible. The only thing you have to be careful about is the rule is basically that you can go through the lottery to get a new six-year period if you have been physically outside the U.S. for a full year. Um, if you were to try next year's lottery, for example, if you left at the end of June 20, oh, okay, then yeah, for next year, that'll have been a year. So yes, yes. if you have been outside the U.S. the whole time, you could try a next year's lottery also. And if that is successful, then you could come in immediately on that H-1B once it's approved and you get the visa stamp, you could come. So what happens to this? What happens to the current perm? If it, I mean, okay, let's say like I have started the perm process and as well as the new H-1B parallelly. So what happens to that? So does it still, whether I can switch my H-1B to that perm or I, I don't know how? No, that perm can still keep going through the other employer. They don't even, the government 
you know, doesn't even necessarily know when they're working on your H-1B that you have a perm with a different company. So they can just keep going in parallel. Um, I mean, eventually it's just kind of a matter of which one will get you back in the country first, but um, eventually you'll need to choose one or the other later. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, Gayatri, you can go ahead. Nitin? Hello, Rebecca. Hello. Uh, hi, uh, my name is uh, I'm currently in, uh, in a student visa. Mm -hmm. I will be completing my uh, STEM OPT uh, first uh, 12 months uh, in July. And okay. I start with just one chance for applying for uh, H1B again. Last two times my H1B didn't get picked. I'd like to know what my uh, options are. If, you know, if it, it wouldn't get picked next year as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is really difficult um, the way the lottery is going right now. And there aren't that many good options, I would say, or attractive options if you, you know, try every year of your OPT three years in a row and don't get selected for the lottery. You know, there are a lot of people in that situation. Um, I would say, of course, the the main option that most people want to avoid is just departing the U.S. Um, if you can't do that, or um, the next best option is, I would say, re-enrolling in school in a different degree program to stay in F1 status. Um, you do have to be careful if you do that. Um, so I would say that the route that a lot of people have gone who are in this situation past you know five or six years is they do re-enroll in school but because they want to continue their work authorization they enroll in a school that grants them CPT uh, work authorization immediately once they join the school and those programs have uh, been very problematic um, we have seen the government we know that the government UCIS and the consulates are aware of them and they have People and um, giving people a hard time if you've used those day one CPT programs because it's even though they're granted by the school they're very misleading because they're probably you know not really authorized according to the F1 regulations. So we in our office tend to warn people away from those day one CPT programs. Um, you know it's some personal matter for everyone to decide whether to take on that risk. The alternative to not using CPT would be to just enroll another degree program, preferably one that's a level higher than the one you just completed. So uh, if you do that and then finish your first year in that program, you are eligible for um, authorized CPT, like valid CPT after the first year of the degree program. So you could start working then. Um, and then if you've gone up a degree level, you're eligible for more OPT time eventually. But um, we know that, you know, there are issues with that option. Also, it's not everyone is able to pay for another degree program and spend a year just in school without working. Um, so unfortunately, those are kind of the main routes uh, right now. Uh, I actually completed my master's recently, and my next higher degree would be, you know, doing a 
PhD. PhD. Yeah. Doing that for a year and then leaving after that would just be, you know, waste of resources. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, that's according to kind of the way the system is, that is sort of the only way to do it um, without much risk. But yeah, it's not very practical for most people, we agree. Um, yeah, there. Do we have any other options? Sorry, do we have any other options except for a day one CPT and then our, our enrolling in a college or PhD? Do we have any other options? Not necessarily um, as far as staying in the US and continuing work authorization, unfortunately. Um, I mean, I've had some clients who, um, the co you know, when they weren't selected, the company did work out an arrangement for them to go back to their home country and basically work remotely for the next year until they could try again in the lottery. So you don't have to be in the U.S. in order to go through the H-1B lottery. Um, it's just that most companies are only going to be willing to submit you in the lottery and sponsor your H-1B if you're here and actively working for them. Um, but that is another sort of alternative, especially the past year or so with the pandemic, with people working remotely anyway, some companies are willing to do that. Um, but besides that, as far as staying in the U.S., I mean, the only other options are kind of dependent on your status. If you have a spouse who's in H-1B, of course, you can only switch to H-4. Barring that, unfortunately, there aren't that many good options for staying in the U.S. and continuing to work. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Virendra? Yeah, hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Uh, yeah, my question is, uh, my priority date is uh, 2016, uh, September, with my previous employer. My current employer applied uh, uh, perm and it is approved. Uh, but to do I-140 uh, as per the visa predictions, so whether I should apply for EB2 or EB3? Yeah, um, it's hard to say. I, I would say yeah, there is a good chance that 2016 will be current in some category on some chart this October. Um, there's, I'd say, a pretty good possibility of that. There's no guarantee, of course. Um, as far as whether it'll be it's more likely to be an EB3 or EB2. Um, no one knows for sure either. Um, the government definitely hasn't given any indication of which one they expect to be farther ahead in October. And people have different predictions. I would say in our office, we're leaning more towards estimating that EB3 will continue to be farther ahead that's kind of based on um, kind of the closest past parallel was there was a somewhat similar situation with the Chinese nationals in the visa bulletin um, a few years ago where EB3 was farther ahead than EB2. And it kind of stayed that way for um, a couple of years or so before they ended up sort of evening out a bit. Um, but even now China EB3 is farther ahead than EB2 and a lot of people um, Chinese nationals in that situation also downgraded. Um, so if I had to make a prediction, I would probably say EB3, but just be aware that that is just a prediction. It's totally up to you which one to, to go with. Um, 
you also have the option, if your perm is recently approved and the I-140 is getting prepared now, um, if you or your company are willing to um, spend extra filing fees, you could always apply for two I-140s, one in each category. If your perm is filed such that it's eligible for EB-2, then you can file EB-3 also. So that's another option to um, file in both if you or the company are okay with submitting additional fees. So filing in uh, regular or premium? So if you do file two, you can file the first one in premium processing. Um, the second one, initially you'll have to submit it in regular processing because they don't accept, that'll still be considered, even if the second one is an EB2, it's not really a downgrade in that situation, but anytime you're filing a second I-140 based on a previously submitted PERM application, um, UCIS won't accept it initially in premium processing. You'll have to file it in regular and then you can try to upgrade it later. But the first one, based on like a newly approved labor, the first I-140, no matter what category it's in, you can always file that one in premium. So shall I go EB2 or EB3? I, I can't make that decision for you. All I can say is that uh, I would say Rawl also is leaning more towards EB3. If you only have to choose one, that would probably be my prediction, but that again, that's just a prediction. Yeah, in case if I apply in EB3 now and uh, in regular processing, and once we see the uh, dates, then I can just switch that to premium, right? Premium and... Uh... Yeah. And the I-140 does not need to be approved in order for you to file the AOS. Um, okay. Even if the I-140 is still pending at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. You can file the I-485 application. Okay, and do I have to be ready with uh, I-485 form or is it too early? Uh, it's up to you. So um, you may have heard our office is offering sort of a pre-prepare service for people who want to get ready earlier. So that would be for people whose party dates are not current right now, according to the visa bulletin, but most likely um, there's a good chance they will be in October. So I'd say that's kind of party dates between 2015 through 2017. May, I think Rahul is even leaving the door open for 2018. Um, if you want to get your AOS package basically ready this summer, um, even though we don't know for sure what the party dates yeah. will be, our office is offering that service. Um, and then if it does become current, we file the application. Um, and then, but that's not required. It's just for people who prefer to get ready earlier. Um, if your priority date is current in, uh, if you haven't pre-prepared, um, still start gathering some documents this summer. Kind of the main things that might take more time is the birth certificate or David's if you don't have the certificate. And then come October, if it is current, you can uh, file it then. It just may be a little more hectic and depending on which attorney's office you're working with. For example, if your company is our office's client, um, we definitely commit to file anything within the month of October if it's current then. Um, 
last year, what we had to do was turn away a lot of outside clients or inquiries from people whose companies were not already our client because we had to focus on people who were our clients. And so this pre-prepare service is also kind of that we're offering this summer is also sort of more for people who are not currently our clients um, to, you know, allow us to be able to file for you instead of turning you away in October because we're too busy. Yeah, got you, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Sure. Okay. Um, I think we'll take one more as the last one. Surat. Hi. Uh, hey. Uh, hi, Rebecca. Can you uh, hear me? Yes. Okay. So my question is regarding switching jobs while uh, on H1B. So as it stands, uh, my H1 transfer to a new employer has been approved. My question is around uh, when I should quit my current job. I just don't want to activate the 60-day grace period. Uh, is there a way to take a two-week break between the jobs without activating that clock? Mm. Um, that's a good question. Not that I'm aware of, technically. Um, yeah, I, there isn't really a provision that allows for uh, H-1B workers to be unemployed in the U.S. unless you're in that 60-day grace period um, without being considered out of status. Um, but I would say in your situation, if you have the transfer approval already, uh, that means you can join the new company immediately, or at least whenever the new company is ready to onboard you. Um, you don't have to wait for anything else from USCIS's side. Um, so if you did need to, uh, weren't able to join company B right away, um, and you resign from company A, it does kind of activate that 60-day grace period, but as long as you're not going beyond that, I, I think it should be fine. Oh, okay. Uh, um, I'll tell you why I'm asking this question. So my uh, new H1 transfer uh, that's been approved, its validity date starts from June 20th, which means it's already begun. So does that mean I'm out of status or... No, as long as right now you're working for company A, according to their H-1B application, you're still in status. So it's not required that you join the new company once the transfer is approved. It just means you are authorized to start as of June 20th with company B. Um, but if you're still actively working for company A, you're still in H-1B status. And so um, you're still maintaining status as long as you're working for one of those companies. Um, like you said, in your case, if you weren't able, if there had to be a gap, then um, it would need to go into that 60-day grace period, but I would say as long as it doesn't go beyond that, it shouldn't be an issue. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I just was under the impression that it depends on when the paycheck is issued. So, uh, Company sort of. A would, yeah. yeah, so is that like a gray area or um, is it's it kind of a gray area? I would say it's more um, the last state of the paycheck is more of an issue when uh, it's kind of a, a termination by company A and um, 
the applicant is now trying to find a company that can file the transfer for them within the 60 days and it's getting close to that 60 days, then we do sometimes look from the last date of the paycheck to see if there's any extra time that can be argued for to make that 60 days as long as possible to give them time to have another transfer filed. Um, I would say technically the 60 days is kind of triggered after your last day of employment with the company. The day that you're no longer with an employee from the company is when the 60 day grace period starts. That's not always the same as the last date on the paycheck because depending on the company's payroll schedule, you might still get your last check in the mail two weeks later after your last day of employment. I tend to count the 60 days from the last day of employment just to be safe. If needed though, in the past, we've sometimes argued for it based on the kind of last date of the pay period. Um, but I try to avoid that unless we have no other choice. Okay, all right. Then uh, worst case, I just activate the to the 60 day period. I, I just need a two week break. Uh, I, I just thought it, it makes sense to take a break before I join a new employer. Okay, yeah, that should be fine. It, it would be considered in this in the grace period though. Yep, yep, okay, all right. Thank you so much, Rebecca. You're welcome. Okay, so I think we are closing the conference here for today. The next one should be tomorrow afternoon. Uh, at 3.30, is that right, Gayatri? Right, right, Rebecca. Okay, yeah, and Rahul should be uh, on the conference tomorrow, I believe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information, or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.